0: Writing is about more than plants. Yes, this week's podcast is going to be about garden writing, or gardening literature, and therefore it's about gardening, but wait, before you click it off, hear me out, give me a few minutes, this essay will be about more than just gardening, and it is April, it's like the advent of the gardening season, everything's warm, things are blooming, and yes, I am an ardent gardener. I have a theory that says uh, the size of your garden is the size of your existential angst. Well, I have a huge garden, so (laughs) you can figure out what that means about me. Of course, my, my guy friends call me a fag for gardening, and I'm sorry for dropping the F word, but that's what they call me. So if it makes you feel better, you can say they call me a weird dude or something. I don't care. Anyway, this essay is about the biographical, philosophical, meditational, and countercultural world of American Guardian literature. It starts off with a riddle. What literary genre has historical roots that predate Socrates features hundreds of American writers, including Thoreau, Washington Irving, and Edith Wharton? And is a genre of literature you've probably never even heard of? And the answer is American Guardian literature. It's a thing. In fact, it's a big thing. I alone have three volumes of garden, gardening literature anthologies in my home library. Amazon has an entire department dedicated to gardening and horticultural essays. Yeah, just essays. It has two dozen other departments dedicated to gardening and horticultural in general. Now, the genre of American garden writing runs a gamut from technical to inspirational, from garden bed blueprints to meditations on weeding. Seriously, meditations on weeding. So, like on one end of the spectrum, you have seed catalogs that merely list the types of seeds, the price, and the specifications, you know, days to maturity, things like that. They hardly qualify as literary endeavors. But then there are literary seed catalogs, those rare and free publications that are informational, occasionally witty, and serious about their prose. And this is long history. Back in the 19th century, I forget the name. It escapes me now. But there was a, uh, a seed catalog that was very, very uh, literary. Anyway, if you want an example from today's world, check out Wild Garden Seeds out of Oregon. Also check out their fabulous Jester Lettuce Seeds. Anyway, sorry. Get back to the essay here. Okay, among contemporary books, actual books, not catalogs, you have on one end of the spectrum the Vegetable Gardener's Bible, which is my go-to book, but hardly qualifies as serious literature. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a book called Inheriting Paradise, Meditations on Gardening by a theologian named vegan Gorian. Um, It might be a lovely book, but it scarcely talks about gardening techniques at all. So when I'm talking gardening literature, I'm talking about something that's a blend. And I think the best contemporary example of that is a book called The Tao of Vegetable Gardening by Carol Depp. I mean, it is a beautiful hybrid. Mostly how-to gardening advice, but laced with a meditational bent that, though rarely overt, informs the book as a whole. And that is what I mean by American gardening literature, packed with gardening advice from a highly educated and experienced gardener and Depp has a PhD in biology from Harvard, but it's about a whole lot more, as evidenced by its subtitle: "Cultivating Tomatoes, Greens, Peas, Beans, Squash, Joy, and Serenity." I'd hope that a subtitle like that can make even the most ardent brown thumb think about putting his hands into the d- into the soil. Now, garden literature it's it's unusual, um, because it mixes, in the words of Emmy Bradford, a literary professor quote practical agricultural advice, and moral reflection, unquote. That is how I would define gardening literature. And in Western culture goes back over 2,500 years. That leads to Hesiods, or Hesiods, the works and days. Uh, later Greeks followed suit, as did the Romans, Cato and Virgil, many others they wrote about gardening. I mean, agricultural literature was firmly ensconced in the classical world, so it's no surprise that America followed suit. I mean, the Americans loved Greece and Rome, especially ancient Rome, including its agrarian literature. In the words of a guy named Paul Meany, I found him on com. he said, quote, Roman poets such as Horace and Virgil praised an agrarian lifestyle, and their work struck a chord with the self-sufficient hardy farmers of early America, unquote. The colonial Americans themselves wrote about gardening and agriculture in general. Thomas Jefferson, for instance. Now, given his agri-politics, it's not surprising. um, And even George Washington in a few of his letters. There's actually a French transplant named Hector St. John de Cuvier. He wrote a book in 1782 called Letters from an American Farmer. Which, by the way, D.H. Lawrence freaking savages in his classical book, uh, I think it's, yeah, Studies in American Literature. That, by the way, if you're into witty and fine prose and uh you're into you're into literature just in general, pick up that book. I think it's out of print. Uh go to Amazon or whatever, buy it use, buy it use for five bucks, yeah. Studies in American literature, it's excellent. But in one chapter he, he savages this book and it's hilarious. But the book, you know, Letters from an American Farmer became wildly popular in Europe's reforming class. And uh I'm going to read you a quote here from D.H. Lawrence's book. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Studies in Classic American Literature. Hazlitt, Godwin, Shelley, Coleridge, the English romanticists were, of course, thrilled by letters from an American farmer. A new world, a world of the noble, savage, and pristine nature, and paradisal simplicity, and all that gorgeousness that flows out of the unsullied font of the ink bottle. That's kind of funny when you you read it carefully. Anyway. (laughs) I don't think it really translated here on the podcast. I didn't find it funny when I read it, but I found it funny when I read it. Well, when I, 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 sorry, I didn't find it funny when I just read it out loud. I found it funny when I read it on the page. Anyway, uh, one of the earliest examples of American agricultural literature was John Taylor of Caroline. He was a wealthy lawyer and agriculturist whose talents didn't carry over to the printed word, in my opinion. <laughs> I find him very difficult to read. That's the John Randolph of Roanoke, uh, because someone suggested that someone translate him into English. (laughs) So Taylor wrote a book called Erator, being a series of agricultural essays, practical and political, in 64 numbers. I mean, I've picked up that book at least a dozen times over the past dozen years, and I can testify that John Randolph was right. Um, But it does fall squarely within the genre as I define it. It's how-to agricultural advice combined with lost, loftier subjects. As an aside, uh, one can quibble with me about characterizing Erator as gardening literature. Uh, Taylor hardly operated a garden. <laughs> he operated large tracts, and he wrote from that perspective, which clearly lands his writing in the farming category, not gardening, but farming. In my defense, it's hard to know when gardening literature becomes farming literature. And that's probably appropriate. No one knows when gardening itself turns into farming. I mean I annually grow over five hundred pounds of lettuce on a half acre plot that I sell it at an outdoor food at an outdoor food market. Am I a gardener or a farmer? You can tell me that. Alright, now modern American gardening literature here's the thing, it didn't stop with colonial America, not remotely. The 19th century saw garden literature from Henry Ward Beecher, Frederick Law Olmsted, and the Shaker Seed Catalog. That's the catalog I was trying to remember earlier, the Shaker Seed Catalog. An Englishman, William Cobbett, even entered the genre with the popular, quote, the American gardener, unquote, while spending two years on Long Island. Garden literature was even popular during the urban infatuated Roaring Twenties prompting House and Garden Magazine to assemble an anthology called The Gardener's Bed Book in 1929, shortly before the stock market crashed and sent everyone scrambling to grow their own food. Then during the Great Depression, the fugitive agrarians, a group of well-known writers like poet Alan Tate and Robert Penn Warren, published a set of essays called I'll Take My Stand, and celebrated the South and America's agrarian traditions. Robert Penn Warren, by the way, he wrote All the King's Men. If you, the name sounded familiar, but you weren't sure where to place them. The book about the the rise and assassination of Huey Long. Anyway, the later 20th century, however, really saw an explosive growth in garden literature. Probably because mega agricultural corporations became kind of a bogeyman. Uh, people hated the giant machines that crushed the earth under their threads and artificial chemicals gave small agricultural, organic pursuits a sense of urgency. The urgency manifests itself in 1943 with the Pulitzer Prize winner Louis Bromfield's Pleasant Valley, which, according to a recent issue of Organic Grower, said paved the way for today's organic agriculture movement. Bromfield also published a book of essays, Talking about his Ohio agricultural footprint called Malabar Farms, which had become such a popular destination spot, that Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall got married there in 1945. After that, and the publication of Rachel Carson's *Silent Spring*, the idea of small agriculture practices, especially organic ones, fell into the meld, fed into and melded with gardening literature, creating a gardening literary boom. As a result, there's a late 20th century American gardening book for every taste. So, are you interested in Guardian literature from the upland south? Well, look at Wendell Berry. He built much of his writing career around Kentucky agriculture matters. And looking for something from the southwest? Try John Graves' 1974 book, Hard Scrabble. That's about converting hundreds of acres of crater land in Texas. You want something with a heavy religious bent? Try Catherine Doherty's Apostolic Farming. Do you want to see someone give the metaphorical middle finger (laughs) to modern agriculture and modern life in general? Try Gene Logsdon's The Contrary Farmer. And by the way, if you want to read just one essay in this vein, you might enjoy my essay called Confused and Contented, which might make up a future podcast episode. And if you want to get radical there is now a whole cottage literary industry that sprung up about homesteading and living off the grid, including Caroline Schutz's 2008 novel The School on Heart's Content Road. And that's for someone who uh, prefers their garden literature in fiction form. So there you have it. I don't expect you necessarily to go out and buy these, uh, all these books. I will tell you, even before I became a gardener, I was kind of interested in this whole genre. And now that I'm into gardening... I'm into it big time. Uh, but last thing I'm gonna do is tell someone to go out and garden. Uh, prior to the, the crash of 2008, 2009, never would have crossed my mind <laughs> to go out and garden. In the past 12 years, I've grown in love with it. But, yeah, each person has their own hobbies, each person has their own interests. I would encourage, if you've never tried it, you really ought to go out and try growing your own food. Uh, I think there's, there's a reason the book of the Bible starts with, uh, in the book of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, Ooh, the very first piece of literature out of ever was probably, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember it, I think the Epic of Gilgamesh makes reference to gardening, Christ started his passion in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm dictating this by the way on uh, Easter Sunday, so gardening just, yeah, I could probably do a whole essay on why I think it speaks to your soul. Uh, more than maybe other hobbies do. And I could be wrong. You know, maybe I'm smoking hash, I don't know. But I, I, I think there's a lot more there than there is, say, to you know, travel, although I do like to travel as well. Um, golfing, writing, reading. I mean, I think there's something about, about gardening itself that I think is a, a higher pursuit. And that would also be consistent with the Western spiritual tradition. I mean, if you read about the monks, one thing becomes very clear. The monks gardened. It was a perfect counterpoise to the spiritual life. You know, putting your fingers in the dirt, in the mundane, being the body, the corporeal, combined with the spiritual, the incorporeal of the prayer life. That the, the two were, uh, were like polar opposites, but naturally came together. Anyway, I'm here to exhort you into gardening. It's something I want you to consider, though. As always, thanks for listening.